Hello and welcome to Hop On Board, brought to you by South Eastern Railway. In each episode, you'll be taken on a whistle-stop tour of some of the best places to explore on the South Eastern Network, guiding you through everything these stunning regions have to offer. From beautiful countryside walks, impressive history, a vibrant art scene, to delicious food and drink. That's where I hop on board. I'm Greg Wallace and I'm beyond excited to be here in my home county of Kent to give you a taste of some of my favourite places to eat and drink. The foodie scene here really does offer something for everyone and a lot of the restaurants here make really skillful use of our beautiful local ingredients. I'll be stopping off in Faversham to visit Britain's oldest brewer, Shepherd Neem, and explore the renowned Macnane Food Hall, before I hop on board a train to Whitstable to eat my way round the seaside town. But first things first, I'm making my way to scenic Canterbury to sample some local wine and have a nose round Kent's spectacular goods shed. It's got a Roman wall, the oldest school in the world, a vibrant student population, I know that for sure, my children were there. Theatres, independent shops, and the kind of thing I'm interested in, some fantastic restaurants and bars. It's easy to reach. You've got not one but two stations, one at each end of the high street, that's Canterbury East and Canterbury West, and the southeastern high-speed service from London takes just under an hour. And once you've explored the city, there's no better way to relax than with a nice big glass of wine. Now, Kent is a fantastic area when it comes to English wine production. And Jonathan Piggins is on a mission to share the very best of the best. He's the co-founder of Cold Wines. Now, Jonathan, you're offering me a glass of something cold. I love that, I love that but I have to say, it's early. It is early. But it's never too early for a glass of English wine. Tell me, Jonathan... Why have English wines come to prominence so recently? Why haven't we had them for centuries? It's the winemaking skills. So we're now importing a lot of winemaking skills and actually having a lot of homegrown winemaking skills. So you have it at Plumpton College where you can go and take wine courses, learn how to um, look after a vineyard, learn how to make wonderful wines. And it's a passion that's coming through from a lot of individuals. So they know they can make good wines. Kent, good area for wine Fantastic growing. area for wine growing. Why is that? Partly because of the land. Um, partly because it's one of the warmest places in the country. Um, and partly because of the aspect. So you get a lot of south-facing south um, hills, which are great for ripening the grapes. Sunshine? Uh, Sunshine. Now, in my experience, years ago, like the, the, the more kind of into Northern Europe you go with the wines, the kind of sharper and sweeter they get. It is not true of. It's of not. Wines. It, they will be slightly sharper. There's a mineral quality to them. They're not. They're not sweet. They tend to be very dry wines. But if you think about our palate, we love a Granny Smiths. So it's the same with our wine. They're going. To, they're not going to be the full-bodied reds that you can get down in South Africa or in France because we don't have the heat. But what we get is beautiful clean, crisp, still wines. What's this links I'm hearing between you and Tattinger? Tattinger came over here what, about five, six years ago and Pierre-Emmanuel Tattinger was looking 
and England because of all the changes that are happening. And he came across some land which is owned by the Gascain. So there's Charles and Mark Gascain. They're one of the largest apple producers in the country. And he tested their soil. He actually took it back to Ream. He took it to his scientists and said, can you test the soil? And two days later, he went back to the scientists and the scientists went, oh, Monsieur Tassinger, you're having a joke with me. This is soil from the Champagne region. And he went, no, it's not. It's from Chillum, Kent. Let me get this absolutely right. Here in Kent, we have the same soil and now the same weather as they do in the famed Champagne region. Yes. Mate, open the bottle. <laughs> open well, the bottle I... right away. What, what, what are you doing? Okay, well, shall we taste? You very kindly poured three samples here of, of Kentish wines. One at a time. What do we have? So the first one is from Simpsons, who are one of the most... I suppose, established vineyards near Canterbury. Um, they started in 2012. It's Ruth and Charles Simpson, a family-run business. They also have a vineyard out in France, so they learned a lot of their trade out in France before coming over here. And what we're having now is their first non-vintage classic cuvee. So normally you take a classic, well, a classic cuvee, it could have a vintage, so 2017, 2018, 2019. This is a mixture of all three, so it's got wine from uh, 17, 18, and also 19, and that blend gives it an extra sort of depth to it and a longer finish. Oh, that is rather delicious. That's got a little bit of sweetness to it as well, incredibly refreshing. It's almost like a sharp lemonade kind yeah. of finish. That is lovely. We're right next to the train station. In fact, you can see the platform outside the window. How far away from here is that vineyard? Four miles. Now we have what looks to me like a blush, like a rosé in front of Well, yes, this is uh, the Heppington Pinot Noir Rosé. So it's made 100% Pinot Noir grapes. Have a little smell and a taste. That is a floral aroma. Quite floral. It's almost like a berry. Yeah, so hint, you get raspberry, cranberry. hint of berry, but it smells light, very light. Let's get in there. I like, I've just come back from Provence. I, I like oh, rosé. Okay, let's yeah. see what you... Oh, wow. Now, you could bath in that. That's got uh, fruity, slightly fruity. Again, it's pleasantly sharp, which makes it refreshing. It's very, very light. I have to admit, this is as good as anything I drank in Provence. Fantastic. Right, what's, the, what's this one, boss? This one is, this is the Charlton Bacchus now. That's peaches. That is peaches in there. Apricots. Elderflower. Elderflower. Think about English hedgerows. Think going back, back to May, June time. It's very floral, very aromatic. And this is like a Sauvignon Blanc. Yes, you're right. You're right, elderflower. It's like a cordial. I, st I still get peaches. Well, one of the great things about wine is you get what you, you get. You know, there's no science to it. There's nothing that's right or wrong. Mate, that is yummy. That is super, super yummy. Just like a, a slight hint of, of bitterness when, you, when you're finished. Pleasant bitterness, like, like biting yeah. into a crisp chicory. It's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. The good thing about getting the train, of course, is it doesn't matter how many you sample. Does it, it doesn't matter how many you sample. You can sample so many. Rarely do I buy a bottle of wine on my doorstep, I'm embarrassed to say. That has all changed after meeting you. What a treat that was. Soon there'll be another reason to come to Canterbury as Jonathan and Cork are about to open a bricks and mortar store here. And of course, if you come down on the train, you can enjoy a bottle responsibly because of course, 
you don't have to drive anywhere. Canterbury is one of the most visited cities in the UK, and for good reason. It's famous, of course, for Geoffrey Chaucer's travelling pilgrims, and I'm also off on a journey, headed northwest to Faversham, a town that existed before Jeff even thought of putting pen to paper, and I know it quite well. Today, though, I'm headed to Britain's oldest brewer, who is based here, Shepherd Neem. It's best known for traditional Kentish ales like Master Brew and Spitfire. That's my favourite. Whitstable Bay and many more. It's got more than 300 pubs throughout London and the southeast, but their brewery is located right here in the heart of Faversham. And I am sitting in a beautiful, very old, elegant boardroom with managing director Jonathan Swain. My friend, this is a stunningly beautiful room. First of all, can you tell us where we are and how old this building is? Hi, Greg. We're in the boardroom here at Shepherd Neem, and our history goes back, certainly here on this site, to 1698. Indeed, brewing here, we think, we're pretty sure, has been happening for 449 years. I think it's 1573. But 1698 here in, in Faversham uh, is the start of the story of Shepherd Neem. For those of you that don't know, Shepherd Neem is my, because I live in Kent, is, is my local brewer and, of course, pub group, would you say? Is that fair? Have I described you correctly? Yeah, I think that's right. So um, uh, we're actually the largest now independent family brewer in the UK. We're very, very proud of our history. So brewing here, as I said, since 1698, and we now have 300 pubs and hotels from Soho to, to Sea Salter. So it's a, it's a fantastic business with lots of character and heritage. Faversham Station, near where I used to live, is less than an hour from central London? You can get here from St Pancras in just over an hour um, and you're transported into this lovely market town where our, our brewing story began. And do you, do you do brewery tours? We do, yeah, we do. In fact, we have about 30,000 visitors to our brewery every year. Ooh. This is a live brewery that you'll walk through during the tour, you'll get to grab some hops and smell our hops. Our, our hops are sourced from within Kent and you get to, to smell the barley and the different types of malt and barley that create the different beer characters that we have. At the end, you'll get to sample six beers in a, in a tutor uh, tasting. For those of you that would like to know about beer already have a palate for beer, of course, much better to come on the train, right, boss? Vessels where it's much better to come on the train. We, we, we would urge all our visitors to be uh, uh, responsible about, about, uh, about their journey to and from the brewery. Now, what is it about Kent and its history of beer making? 80% of our hops come from Kent. So the, the, the story of Kent beer and Shepanine beer starts with the hop. We're not unique in, in the world for, for loving our beer, but there's something about local British beers, isn't there? What, what is it to you? Well, for me, it's that story of the land uh, and the people and um, the environment. I think if you think about all those three things coming together, we've been brewing beer for over a thousand years. And so that, that story hasn't changed. We're talking about some very simple ingredients, you know, fantastic water, uh, malt, uh, and then hops. And that really is it with some, a bit of yeast, a bit of magic to bring it all together. I drink your beer. All right, I'm a fan. I don't mind admitting it. So come here. You're not only getting a taste of fine, fine beer, but of course you're having a little taste of history. It's a slice of history. You're walking back in time. You've got some pubs with some very good food as well. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we're, we're very, very fortunate to have some fantastic locations. This basket that we can source from um, and then the landscape that creates the, the opportunity. The, the, the sea salter would be one 
that we're all very, very proud of. I walked here from Faversham Station. It's less than 10 minutes. And there was already a queue going down the side of the building and round the corner waiting to get into your tour. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. You, you, you can walk down the hill from the station, past one of our pubs called The Railway, and about seven to ten minutes you're here at our visitor centre. I've got a big favour to ask you. Would you let me go behind the bar and pull a pint? I would. Yeah, I would. With a little bit of training. But yeah, let's do it. And as quick as you could call last orders, I was out of the boardroom and behind the bar, getting pointers on pint pulling from Shepherd Neem's director of brewing. Actually, I wasn't that bad at it. Well, this is very exciting for me. I'm behind the bar of a Shepherd Neem pub with my new mate, Mike. Mike, what's your title, please? Um, I'm director of brewing at uh, Shepherd Neem. Well, there's no higher authority than that. I want to be able to pull a pint. Now, I'm guessing I don't just tilt the glass and pull the handle. Well, I think if you present the glass up to the swan neck, up to the kind of top of the swan neck, at a slight angle there, uh, and then slowly draw the pump towards you, Normally, you should be able to get it in two or three pulls, but uh, keep a, a slight angle on the uh, on the glass, Greg. Why is that? Uh, otherwise, you'll start generating too much foam, and obviously, we don't want the beer coming out of the glass. You've got a lovely turn of phrase. Put it out to the swan neck, present the glass to it, and then what did Draw you... Draw slowly, yep. A bit quicker than that. And then just give it two or three pumps like that. You can probably go a quick... Faster, there wow. you go. Now you're starting to. And then as it comes up to the top, just angle it again back to the horizontal, more or less. Perfect. So, what should I be looking for in the perfect point? Well, first of all, I mean, it's good to have a, a slight bit of settling there. You should be looking for a nice, clear body on the beer. Uh, and then up towards the top, you're looking for a nice, tight, creamy foam. Again, you know, not too much. That's the skill of the pouring. And you've done pretty good there, I reckon, Greg, um, for a first go. But that looks like a pretty good pint to me. Right, I'm going to have a sip. All right. That is such beautiful. Slightly hoppy finish, slightly bitter finish. And do you know what's good about beer? You can quaff it. Sad as it is to leave, I couldn't resist the gorgeous market town of Faversham. I'm here to pay a visit to McNaid's Food Hall, just 15 minutes walk from the train station. McNaid's is a family-run farm shop, restaurant and bar. I know it very well, and it's been dealing in the best of local produce since 1847. Sitting down to talk to me through this fine establishment is McNaid's CEO, Stefano Cuomo. Yes, I'm Stefano and um, McNaid is my family business. I'm the sixth generation here. We, we celebrated 175 years this year. Uh, and I thought what we would do is try some delicious Kentish fare uh, and, and perhaps just match it up with a bit of kind of continental as well. I think a bit of fun we can have is, you know, Kentish wine and Kentish goat cheese. Just, you know, comparing how you might find the Loire, for example. Yeah, a bit of everyone knows Sauvignon Blanc and the Loire goat cheese actually here in Kent. We're doing it better, yeah? Actually, you own a fabulous, fabulous farm shop and, and, and cafe. In fact, the size of it is quite extraordinary, very impressive. It's almost like the first ever farm supermarket. They're the old tractor sheds of the farm. Yeah, we farmed over three, 300 acres here at McNaid and had, had other areas as well in Kent. But it's exactly that. My father and mother 
40 years ago, sort of still farming at the time. They started with a small part of the, the shed here at Macnade and, and it's grown over time. And that has been because of the numbers that have come into the space, the interest in food and drink, both locally, but much wider as well. Um, and this is one of the, the, the beauties of the proximity to London, people coming further afield for weekends out just to enjoy kind of what, what we grow here in the county. Now we have a lovely, lovely sample of local delicacies, very local. Should we, should we nibble our way through? Yeah, absolutely, what do, and, and so I just, I'll give you a little bit of background to each of them as you come through, because this is the whole point of Magnate really. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're retailers, we're operators, we're hospitality experts, but, but the key to it is, is taking producers and just linking them through with the consumer. What you are is a link between the grower, producer, and the shopper, the diner. That's what you are. So if you're still, you're still up for trying a bit of wine? Uh, go on in. <laughs> So this is Bacchus again as a crow flies. This is what, five miles from where we are now? And what we do is gonna match it up with a bit of Ellie's Dairy, which is a goat's, goat's cheese. Again, other direction, 10 minutes down. It's fact five minutes from my house. And Ellie's Dairy is a beautiful little goat's button. Um, a lot of people think of goat's cheese as being kind of billy goat rough, yeah, big, big animal-y flavor. This is clean, crisp, and, and, and it's absolutely wonderful by itself, crumbled up. We're gonna do this trial with a bit of wine and see how it works. Now, what we'll also do, it seems obvious, but still surprise me, a people don't do it, is, is honey with cheese. Of course, you know, Italians, you know, Italian. I know you love the Italian food side of things. But again, this is Kentish, this is Canterbury honey. So again, small honey producer, and we sell all sorts of different honeys. And the beauty about um, spaces like ours, again, is yeah, you can pick up honey in the supermarket, but what you'll find here, I think we've got seven small producers, each from their own area. And again, that attachment that people have from the health values, but also just the flavor and the provenance of honey. I've got a really creamy, but quite crumbly goat cheese here with a lovely, almost amber drizzle of honey going down it. And my, and my friend here has given me another lump and an incredibly crisp, clean little sample of wine. But mate, doesn't get much better, does it? I want to urge people to jump on a train, come down from central London. It'll take about an hour to, to get to Famisham. Because with our establishments like this, small producers would not have an outlet. They would be gone. Today, rightly or wrongly, you either farm big or you don't farm at all. And places like you, McNaid's, gives an outlet for producers who have hundreds of years of heritage. You're absolutely right. And, and this comes back to, again, I think, sometimes there's a mis, miscomprehension that you know, independent is expensive or actually there is an added value in these products. But yeah, you taste the food. I mean, it is something else. It is incredible. The stories behind them. But also for us, a key part of it is that whilst you're enjoying these incredible products, um, yeah, we're looking at how we consume differently as well. So these are low impact ways of agriculture to go into these. These are smaller farm production uh, products. And so it's an economical value that comes back into the local economy. Yeah, we're looking at consuming products that have less impact on the environment also they're bloody tasty right so it's all these elements together that's absolutely you know it's, it's the core of what we do well literally down the road from McNaid's here of course is Brockdale which is the national fruit collection and for any if, you, if you're coming out here and I, and I, and I suggest you do have, have lunch here like I've done but go down and see Brockdale it's got two of every English fruit strain there's ever been I can only describe it as a Noah's Ark of fruit and you will see just how different pears and apples can be from each other. We tend to get one standard one in our shops. You can see the vast, vast variety that you wouldn't normally. The importance of place like Broadway, like you said, it keeps it keeps this historical factor of all these varieties that 
you know, so the, the generic approach to mass market has kind of pushed out. We've still got them right here, uh, here on our doorstep. The amazing thing is shopping here at McNaid's, going down and seeing and sampling fruit at Brogdale is very much the same, is no two visits are going to be exactly the same because it's only seasonal, it's only small amounts, it's always going to be a different offer. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. And I think that is, yeah, people are discovering their food and drink all the more. You know, I think, and I, and I love, you know, I'm a sort of Southern Italian, so I like the heat, but I love autumn, you know, that change of temperatures, you come through and you start to get this glut of produce. But we'll see the same as we get into winter. Yeah, the brassica really bites in. You have vegetables throughout the course of the winter and then we come back into the spring and you're looking for each of those seasonal changes and that's something that we do in, in Magnate and we can showcase that. Well, I've walked up the road now and I'm outside Faversham Station because I'm going to get on the train because what Kent has is a fantastic coastline and in less than 10 minutes you can get from Faversham to the very famous Whitstable. Now, if you like your oysters, or if you fancy some real quality fish and chips, that is the place to go. Come on, come with me. Let's go and get a ticket. Now, I used to live in Whitstable and it's a beautiful seaside town. It's actually a victim of its own failure in a good way, in a positive way. It tried to be a big seaside town, which never worked for it. So it stayed quaint. It tried to be an industrial kind of fishing town, which never worked for it, so it stayed quaint. So it has a lot of positive negativity. People have been taking the train to Whitstable for a long time. In fact, the Canterbury and Whitstable Railway, sometimes referred to as the Crab and Winkle Line, was an early British railway that actually opened up in 1830 with one of Robert Stevenson's steam engines. And that Crab and Winkle Line, of course, that was going from the oyster fisheries, the local shellfish fisheries, into Canterbury and London. It was once an oyster boomtown. It produced over six million a year for the Victorians and they're really still very popular today. I love them. I love them, love them, love them. But like a lot of towns on the Kent coast, it's got more and more popular over the past few years with young people moving in, galleries opening and increasing numbers of Londoners realising that they can breathe real sea air after just over an hour's train ride from London. Uh, we're going to be on the beachfront and it's easy once you get on there to see why people love coming here. And what I'm interested in, of course, is finding something to eat and drink. I moved down here from London and the locals, they know us as DFLs down from London. Do you know, it's over four years since I've got off at this stop. You're only a short walk to the high street and then an even shorter hop onto the beach. Ah, oh, brings back lots and lots of happy memories, this. I'm here in uh, Whitstable High Street. It's a street I know very, very, very well. Summertime, it is rocking. I don't know, as someone who used to live here, whether I prefer actually the, the spring and the autumn and winter, because it's a bit quieter. All the restaurants are still open. What you hear is outside a fine old pub, bit of a landmark, and that's the Duke of Cumberland. And it sits on a kind of island, because the high street then splits into two, like a Y shape, and the Duke of Cumberland sits in the middle of it. Great restaurant, Samphire over there I used to go to a lot. The original ever Wheeler's there, Wheeler's Oyster Bar and, and Fish Restaurant, tiny little place. That's the original one right there. That's a bit of food history. And then if we cross the road here, 
and walk down to the seafront, we can find probably the finest oysters in the land, right on the Pebbly Beach. Whitstable Oyster Company is a local institution and it's been serving satisfied customers for almost 40 years. I have long been a fan of this place myself and even after four years away from the place, it's a relief to know that some things never change. There you go. That's fabulous. Look at those. Plump, white and milky. Thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you very much. Now, I know people are nervous of them. I know they are. There really is only one way to try it, and that's to try it. If you get big natives like this, the thing to do is possibly cut them in half, have half of them. I like them with a little bit of shallot vinegar, gives a bit of bite. I like them with lemon juice. I also like them with a bit of Tabasco. I just like them. And do you know what? Healthy eating doesn't get healthier than that. That is all fresh protein and no fat whatsoever. Here we go. Oh, my word. I like to give them a little bit of a chew, especially when they're this big. But that is so firm and it's almost like cold out of the sea. It's got a bit of natural sweetness to it and then it's salty. That right there is pure goodness. Well, I have had a beer and the fresh air and I am by the sea. And you know what? When you're by the sea, you gotta have some fish and chips, right? You gotta have some fish and chips. Let's get the smell of that vinegar on some crispy chips. Come on, let's go. And I know just the place. As far as I'm concerned, there is only one, one fish and chip shop, not just in Whitstable, but probably on the South Coast, and that's Aussie's. How do you like your chips? Crispy on the outside, fluffy in the middle? How do you want your batter? Crispy? How do you want your fish? Flaky? Come with me. Can I have cotton chips, please? Yes, of course. What makes good fish and chips? Definitely local produce products. Uh, local potato uh, we get from um, near Dover. I know when you queue up here on a busy Friday night or a Saturday night, you come out into the queue and start giving people little bits to eat. Why do you do that? This is our uh, really... Um, a, a signature. I just like my mom is a giver, like to feed every every people, and I think we got to be a pickup from her. So whoever's coming to the shop, we just like to extra extra give while they're waiting, more for your dinner and a bit of chips for dessert as well. <laughs> it's such a nice thing to do. I don't know any other shop anywhere that feeds people in the queue while they're waiting. It's a lovely thing. Everybody wants to come to the seaside, wants to eat fish and chips. That's right. That's, 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 that's one of the great things. You know, many people, like you said earlier, we have a good queue, the people coming in, they got their there easy next to seaside. And like I said, we are the product we use as they're all local products. What do they but, say? Wherever you go, eat where the locals go. Absolutely. That's right. And the locals That's get right. their fish and chips here. Look at that. Look at that. That is the crispiest, lightest bit of cod I've ever seen. Would you like to He is stabbing my cod with the fork. So the vinegar gets in the batter. My friend, let me shake your hand. Thank you very much indeed. There's my can of drink. I really appreciate it. Thank that you isn't just a takeaway meal. That is a culinary work of art, my friend. Right here is a bit of seaside tradition. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Right, I've got my fish and chips. I'm back down to the beach. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of inside information. The locals know this really well, and it is a fantastic pub, and it is right on the beach. So right on the beach, it's almost lopsided, okay? It's called the Neptune, 
and they have live bands here at the weekend. People spill out and drink onto the beach. It's great. It's, it attracts a very interesting crowd. Um, lots of different sorts of people, but it's happy and it's buzzing and we're on our way. And that brings us to the end of my tour of Kent's most delicious destinations. And, for that matter, the end of this episode of Hop On Board. If you like what you've heard, spread the word. Give us a like and subscribe. And if you're eager to keep exploring, why not check out the rest of the series and discover more of what Kent and East Sussex has to offer, just by jumping on a southeastern train. But for now... It's time for me to disembark. Thanks for listening. Woo-hoo!